0: Kids, you're dismissed. To the children's ministries, bless you as you go. Welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning as we continue our series entitled Scrooge. Because oftentimes when we hear the word Scrooge, we think of a money miser, tightwad, penny pincher, and rightfully so, Charles Dickens Ebenezer Scrooge was a greedy old man. But then something happened. He received an unexpected Christmas gift. He saw his future in light of his past and present, and he got a new start. He got a second chance. He made amends, and he moved from a life of isolation and greed to one of joy and generosity. He got scrooged. And that's our desire. Through this entire series, that somehow in small or big ways, we would move from isolation and greed to joy and generosity, not just for a day or a season, but every day that we would experience the joy of generosity. A couple of weeks ago, we learned that it's hard to see greed in the mirror, that it's easy to see greed in other people, in your family, friends, and someone that's wealthy, but it's hard to see greed in your own heart. That's why Jesus said, watch out for all kinds of greed because it's all over the place. It's in our, our magazines. It's in our televisions, in our computers, our families. It's in our own heart. So watch out, be careful for all kinds of greed. And then last week we read a story about a rich young ruler who had greed in his heart and, and we learned that it's impossible for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. That no one is good enough, not our wealth or not our good deeds, to enter into God's good graces. And we learned this phrase, I'm not good enough, I'll never be good enough. But there's one who is. There's another rich young ruler who left the glories and riches of heaven to come down to earth, to be born in a barn, to live a life of poverty, to die on a criminal's cross so that we might inherit eternal life, that all who put their faith in Jesus receive everlasting, eternal life. And that's the good news of Christmas. That's what we celebrate this Christmas season, that Jesus came down to earth to live among us, to die on a cross so that we might get screwed, so that we might experience eternal life. And now this week, we ask another question, and the question is simply this, now what? Now that I've seen my grade now that I've received eternal life, what's the next best thing that I can do with my life? And to answer that question, we want to turn once again to J.C. Cutler, the actor that plays Ebenezer Scrooge at the Guthrie. I had a chance to interview J.C. Cutler and I asked him a few questions about Ebenezer's moment of transformation and then what happened next. Here's J.C. Cutler.
1: Charles Dickens wrote Christmas Carol in six weeks. It's one of the most brilliant novellas that was ever written, and he wrote it in six weeks. He anticipated the psychology of what it takes for a person to psychologically transform in a way that is so prescient and so unbelievable that it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. He understood fundamentally what has to happen to a person for them to change, change, spiritually change not just psychologically, but fundamentally, spiritually transformed. The transformational moment in the play is when he's being taken around by the ghost of the future, and he's being shown all the things that could happen. Tiny Tim could die. Scrooge has been dead only a few days and they're divvying up his clothes and his jewelry and selling them for pennies, the things that he cared so much about. None of that matters in the world. And ultimately, he is alone in the graveyard next to his own coffin and realizes nobody's attending his funeral. He's all by himself. And that's where he's landed. He begs for one more chance, and he thinks he's not going to get it. He thinks it's over. He thinks it's over. I really try to play it like he will probably, that, that, That it's too late. He surrenders. He says, I I will never, I will never ever again. I I see it now. I see it now. I see what I need to see. And then he wakes up and he gets that one more chance. He's not even sure where he is when he wakes up and he gets that one more chance. And one of my greatest favorite moments in the play is I say to Mary Weather, my housemaid, you know, she tells me, um, we, we talk a little bit, and then I open the windows above my bed, and this light pours in, and I say, Light! Light! What, what's that noise? What day is it? You know, he figures out it's Christmas. But I love that the fact he gets bathed in light. And he's just, because on a spiritual level, that's exactly what's happening in that moment. Light has entered him to some extent. And that's his kind of moment of realizing that I mean, people talk about it all the time. They feel this kind of light enter them, and they go through a transformation. In some respects, that's at least hinting at that, you know? And then I say, day, a new day, a new day, like he finally gets a chance at one more day. I come out of the house. I've just gotten dressed, and I'm excited, and I've got my money. and I bump into the little beggar boy, and he screams, and he starts to run away. And I say, "What? what's home, my boy? And he said, I said, what's the matter? And he says, yesterday. I said, what happened yesterday? He said, you said, if you saw me again, you would eat me, he says, because that's what I said to him, right? I say, oh, that was somebody else, is what I say. And then he says, I look like you. And I say, Oh, very like, no doubt. I once knew the man you met yesterday. If there's a creature on this planet who despises him more than you, then it is I. And he says, But it was you. And I say, Here, take this. And I hand him the bag. And just as he opens his hands and grabs it, I go, <laughs> "And a merry Christmas to you. To-. And I just watch his face transform and I go, and a Merry Christmas to you too. And he goes, thank you, governor. And I just start dancing in the street, you know. <laughs> I go, onwards, Merryweather. And I stop and I go, what a beautiful day it is. He notices the day for the first time. He's had his head down for 30 years. What a beautiful day it is. He sees the day, he sees the light, he sees the people, he sees the thing. The boy is happy. Then people in our production, just everybody that he was mean to at the beginning comes spinning on stage and he makes his amends. I even used the words I make amends at one point. I I want to make amends and he gives everybody stuff back.
0: Ebenezer laughed And he gave the boy a coin, and he danced with joy. He made amends, and he radically changed his understanding of wealth. He no longer saw his life and his wealth as something to be controlled and hoarded, but something to be shared and given away. And that's exactly what Jesus taught his disciples. In Luke chapter 16. He taught his disciples that a life that's truly life is a life of joy and generosity, not meant to be hoarded, but to be given and shared. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 16, page 1036 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you that Jesus just finished telling the Pharisees a story, three stories about the lost coin, lost sheep, And lost sons. And after sharing this famous story about the prodigal son, Jesus sits down with his disciples, his followers, and he teaches them about the purpose and power of wealth. He answers the question now that you've been found, now that you've received eternal life, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to use your life. And your wealth. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, we read the following. Jesus tells his disciples that there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Jesus says, now that you're found, let me tell you a story about a rich guy who has so much wealth that he needs a financial advisor to manage his money. He's out playing golf, he's enjoying the sun, and his money manager is managing his wealth, but apparently he's not doing a very good job. He's wasting his master's possessions, he's depleting his master's resources. So he called him into his office, and he asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be a manager any longer the rich man said i've been hearing some things about you word on the street is that you're wasting my resources you're depleting my money and before the money manager can give an account for his actions the rich guy pulled to donald trump he says you're fired you cannot be my money manager any longer turn over the books you're done you're fired One would think that the money manager would pick up his bags, hand in the books, leave his job, but that's not what happens. Verse 3, the money manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me in their houses. Reality starts to sink in. He's about to lose his job. He cannot dig, doesn't want to beg. His time is running out. And do you hear the urgency in this man's voice? What shall I do now? When? Not if I lose my job. What shall I do now? What's the next best thing that I can do with my limited amount of time. See, this man realized the same thing that Ebenezer realized, that time was running out, that he only had a limited amount of time and opportunity. So he asked himself this great question, how will I use my limited amount of time and my limited amount of opportunity to secure my future right now? It's a fantastic question. Wherever you're at in your journey, whether you're in high school or a college student, whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're in retirement or about to enter retirement, it's a question, a great question that we can all ask wherever we're at in our journey. What can I do now? How can I use my limited amount of time and resources to make maximum impact, to secure my future. And the money manager not only asked this question, he implemented his answer. Verse 5. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the master told him, good luck with that. I wish I could help you out, but I just lost my job. Good luck with paying back the master 800 gallons of olive oil. Well, that's what he said. He didn't say that. He said, let's make a deal. He says, I still have a limited amount of time. I still have a limited amount of authority. Let's make a deal. Cut your bill in half. Take your bill. Sit down quickly and make it 400. Don't worry about the interest. Don't worry about the fees. Let's make a deal. Let's sign the papers right now, and I'm sure that debtor probably said to the money manager, hey, thanks for helping me out. If you ever need any help in the future, just give me a call. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied, and he told him, take your bill, make it $800. let us make a deal. Reduce your payment, waive the fees, forget about the interest. Let's make it 800 and, and, and after, day, and after the, the close of the deal, the, this debtor, this second debtor probably said the same thing as the first. Hey, if you need anything in the future, thanks for helping me out. I'll be there for you. And this money manager is making deal after deal. I mean, it's a blue light special. I mean, people are lining up to get a conversation with this money manager. He's trying to get everything that he can with his limited amount of time and authority. And the disciples are probably listening to Jesus and thinking to themselves, word on the street was right. I mean, this money manager is horrible. He's terrible. He's a crook. He's a terrible, no good, very bad person. He's wasting his manager, he's wasting his master's money. He deserves to be in jail. He's worse than a predatory predatory lender. And what would think that this rich guy would condemn this wicked, evil money manager. That he would call the police, but he doesn't call the police. He calls him into his office. And he doesn't condemn him. He commends him. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest money manager because he acted shrewdly. It's the Greek word "phononymous," and it means clever, thrifty, wise. The master commended the dishonest money manager because he used his limited amount of time and authority wisely, shrewdly. Now, if you're like me, your hand goes up, and it's not to ask a question but to shake your head, And to say, how could that be? How could the rich guy commend this dishonest money manager? I mean, what about lying? What about stealing? What about justice? And so Jesus explains this parable this way. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd. There's that word again, more wise in dealing with their own kind than the people of of the light. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's teaching them about the power and purpose of wealth. And he says to them, You need to learn from this dishonest money manager. You need to learn a few things from the world. You need to take a play out of this guy's play's playbook. You need to learn to leverage your limited amount of time influence, and money. And then Jesus tells his disciples this wonderful truth about the power and purpose of wealth. He tells us what to do next with our limited amount of time and energy. Now that we've been found, Jesus says these words. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Don't hoard all your resources. Don't save all your money. Don't just spend all your money on yourself. Don't see your wealth as a trophy to define your identity. Don't be like Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of the story, hoarding, controlling all his wealth. Use your wealth to gain friends. Isn't that what Ebenezer Scrooge illustrated? With great generosity, with hilarious generosity, he laughed and he gave the boy a coin. He laughed and he danced and he sang and he made amends. He gave to the needs of the poor. He saw his wealth as a tool to gain friends and to bless others. His wealth was not a trophy somehow to build himself up, to shine, collect and hoard his wealth became a tool to influence others to bless others to gain friends and jesus says to his disciples and to all of us use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings notice jesus did not say you'll be welcomed into temporary dwellings You'll gain more wealth if you go help other people out. He says, you'll be welcome to eternal dwellings. Jesus made a connection between this life and the next. Worldly riches and eternal rewards. Jesus says, now that you have a limited amount of time and energy, how you use that directly impacts your eternal future which is a little bit hard for us to understand. It's a little bit hard for us to comprehend. So Jesus explains further. He says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true trust? riches. Do you see the connection that Jesus is making? Jesus is elevating our understanding of wealth. He repeats the same word four times. Did you see that? He repeats the word trust four times in these two short verses. He connects this life with the life to come. Worldly wealth with eternal rewards. He simply says this, God is watching you. God is watching each one of us. He's not making a list and checking it twice to see who's been naughty or nice. He's watching to see how we use our worldly wealth. And he wants to know if we are trustworthy. He's looking to see if we're investing our limited amount of time, our limited amount of energy and resources for an eternal Impact He wants to know if we're wise and shrewd. Because according to Jesus, our wealth is not just a tool, but a test. Our worldly wealth is a test of our faith. Because God gives each one of us a little bit of wealth. I know sometimes it may me feel that this person has more than I do, or this person has less than I do. But all of us just have a little bit amount of wealth, and it's all God's. And he gives each one of us a little bit amount of temporary wealth. And every time we pay our mortgage, every time we go shopping, every time we go out to eat, every time we buy certain things, he's watching us, testing us to see if we are trustworthy. He's not looking to see how much wealth we accumulate. He's looking to see how we use our limited amount of time and wealth And resources to secure our future because wealth is not just a tool, it's a test. And whoever is trustworthy with a little in this life will be trustworthy with much in the next life. I'd like to show you a clip of a man who is passing the test. He's using his wealth as a tool and he's making an eternal impact. He describes himself as a secret Santa.
1: Here is a little story to remind us what this time of year is supposed to be about. A story that Steve Hartman found on the road in Pennsylvania.
2: Whether you believe in Santa Claus, or God, or fate, no matter what you believe, you're not going to believe what happened in Reading, Pennsylvania. All right, let's go. It began like all the other times. Every year I go out with Secret Santa. An anonymous businessman who travels the country at Christmas time, randomly going up to people in bus stations and thrift stores and handing out $100 bills. Are you
1: dying? Oh, no, it's true.
2: Oh, my God, this is crazy. Although the reactions are priceless, every year he spends sometimes more than $100,000 of his own money on this. Here's $100. And one thing I've always wondered is is it really worth it? You don't know what these people are going to do with this money. Do you care? No, because one of the things that I do is I do not judge. Good thing, because separating the naughty from nice... And this is for you. ...is definitely not his forte. I didn't earn that. You, you did earn it, because I can tell you're a good man. A good man? Yeah. When was the last time you heard that? Maybe, like, uh... My mom... 30-year-old Thomas Coates is a total deadbeat, at least by most accounts, including his own. I wish I was special. Addicted to heroin, he recently hocked his own son's toys for drug money. That's how bad it is.
0: I haven't worked in over a year. You know, i spent so much time in and out of treatment facilities.
2: Why his girlfriend hasn't left him and taken their son is a mystery even to her grab your bag but she is now running out of patience which is why the night before we met him during yet another one of their many money fights she suggested he try something radical
0: she said maybe you can shoot a prayer up to god real quick you know i know you, know, you, you don't really believe in him but maybe you can start
2: and so he did pray for the first time since childhood take it for you Take it, take it, Then, out of the blue, the saint shows up, slipping hundreds into his hand. You could almost see the wheels turning. That kind of kindness from a total stranger the day after he prayed. You're my man. See you, pal. It was too much of a coincidence for this atheist to bear. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> that, to me, was a miracle. That was God saying, all right, you had enough now. <laughs> I'm going to show you something. So from here on out,
2: it's up to me. After meeting Secret Santa, Thomas checked himself into a treatment facility. And although he's done it before, he says this will be the first time with a higher power at the helm. Maybe that gave him the hope that he needs to break his addiction. And maybe that'll be the turning point that'll change his life, and maybe he won't go back. Now, wouldn't that be worth it? every penny steve hartman on the road in reading pennsylvania
0: that's what happens when we pass the test that's an example of how to use our worldly wealth to make an eternal impact that's how it feels to be generous and that does not mean that we need to go down to the bus stop and give hundreds of dollars away It does not mean that we need to go sell all our possessions and give to the needs of poor. But it does mean we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Am I generous? Am I passing the test? Am I using my limited amount of time, my limited amount of energy, my limited amount of resources to make an eternal impact? I don't know your answer to that question. All I know is that Jesus pulls out all the stops. And he draws a line in the sand, and he says to his followers these words. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus says to his followers, you have to make a choice. You can't do both. You can't serve both God and money. You can't love, worship, find your identity in your possessions, and at the same time, love, worship, and obey God. You have to make a choice. And the Pharisees who loved money heard this and were sneering at Jesus. They, they, they weren't, you know, pulling their finger out at Jesus. They were sneering at him because they were upset, angry, and offended. By the words of Jesus, the ones who knew the Bible the most were most offended. So Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts and what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. He says, you're the ones missing the boat the most. You justify yourselves by your actions. You try to make yourself right before God, but your hearts are far from me. In fact, they're full of greed because you love money and security more than God. And it would be easy for us to conclude, you know, that God just wants our money. You know, that God's a taker. He wants to take away our friends, our our finances, our fun, but then you'd be missing the entire message of Christmas because God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money to get you. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your money to get you. He wants your heart to be full of joy and generosity. That's why God gave us the best Christmas gift ever. He sent his son into the world to be born in a barn, to live a life of poverty, to to die on a criminal's cross, only to rise again so that we might inherit eternal life. And it's not about our good works or or what we can do, but it's about our belief in Jesus as our Savior, as the one that, that died in our place so that we might live. And all who believe in Jesus receive eternal life, and our perspective of wealth changes from a trophy to a tool from a trophy where I find my identity and what I do or what I have for a tool that can be used to bless others and make an eternal impact. I don't know where you're at this morning. All I know is that God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants for you to get scrooged and live a life of increasing joy and generosity. Not a day or a season, but every day your life would be marked by generosity. God, we thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for a time for us to hear from you in the reading and teaching of your word. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would do what only you can do, and that's change our hearts, change our minds, and change our lives. So we give you this time as we contemplate on your word and seek to apply it to our lives.